Sponsor Collide is an endpoint security solution that helps your end users solve their security problems themselves. They get smarter about security and you get more compliant computing. Find out more at collide.com slash day two cloud. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash day two cloud. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we are delving back into the world of Service Mesh, and this time we are exploring Istio and their ambient mesh. What does that mean? Well, good thing we have somebody very awesome to help us uh, guide us through the process. It's Christian Posta, the global field CTO from Solo.io. Ethan, what jumped out at you about the conversation? That although we get our heads all wrapped around terminology and what is a sidecar and how do proxies work in the Kubernetes world, at the end of the day, folks that have been around the industry for a while and know how load balancers worked, if you start with that as kind of your architectural (laughs) grounding, you can map that knowledge onto this world and even more so with ambient because we're, we're kind of killing the sidecar, Ned. Uh, yeah, it might be that it's uh, it's death is nigh, and that's what we're leaning into in this episode. So enjoy it, our episode with Christian Posta. Christian, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you here to chat about Istio Ambient Mesh, which I have to admit, uh, first props, that's a pretty good name. I don't know how much input you had in it, but I know naming is hard, man, and 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 you nailed it on the ambient mesh. Uh, can you give us the 10,000 foot view of what Istio ambient mesh is all about? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me. Happy to talk about this. Um, been working on service mesh for quite a while, and this is the sort of the next phase or next evolution, especially of what we're what we're doing in the Istio community. So ambient mesh is a optional new data plane for Istio that doesn't require using a sidecar deployment to get the benefits and the functionality of of, of the Istio service mesh. And um, now there's a few reasons for that. We can go into those those reasons, Uh, but it is interesting because I've been a part of Istio for since the very beginning Mm. and we've seen its adoption and use in various organizations cloud native modernization efforts and so on and even so i I feel and we're seeing at least on the solo side istio is probably the most widely deployed especially at scale you know large large deployments service mesh out there there's still more to go there's still a lot of opportunity for uh, for people to take advantage of this technology, and Ambient is a uh, you know a big reason why uh, we built this is because of that. That there's you know the, there's still a lot more uh, opportunity for people to use a, a mesh. Uh, forgive me because I don't know the complete history of Istio. I kind of jumped on a little bit later. Uh, was it always a, a sidecar deployment from the beginning? Was that the the original model? Yes, from the very beginning, it was a Kubernetes first type uh, deployment. So started with uh, with the assumptions that you see in Kubernetes, um, and as a sidecar, it would deploy a specifically an Envoy based proxy that ran as the sidecar, which is basically just another container to uh, a container that complements the main workload container. 
And in a, in a Kubernetes world, you can deploy a pod, which is a, a way of scheduling multiple containers together. So you can schedule your workload and always you know, schedule this, this sidecar proxy deployed next to it, um, which then could um, you know, enrich the, the networking on behalf of, uh, of the application workload. Okay, so if we're breaking things apart a little bit, you, you talked about the data plane and the control plane, the, the yeah. Envoy sidecars, those are the data plane. They're sitting in line, the data's passing through it. And then there's the Istio control plane that's kind of sitting over it, making sure those sidecars are provisioned and that they have the right rule sets. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, but something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The sidecar is the data plane. That's where the, that's where the networking or the traffic or the requests from the applications are flowing. So an application talks to another application, it first goes through its local sidecar proxy or, or data plane. And you know the data plane might do things like implement a request timeout. So this request goes out over the wire, it shouldn't take more than this number of milliseconds. Hmm. Or it will uh, do things like request level load balancing. So it'll talk to backend endpoints that uh, you know, and, and and load balance uh, accordingly. So it does what we call application networking on behalf of the application, so that the application doesn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the control plane is taking the uh, either developers or platform owners, some of the the end users, people who want to describe what the networking policy should be, what the behavior for these applications on the network should be, and it is. You know, you, you typically describe that in a, uh, a declare some sort of declarative configuration in Istio. That's a YAML, uh, um, uh, blobs of YAML, and then the control plane will convert that into uh, control configs for the data plane. So specifically, it'll convert it into Envoy proxy configuration and deliver that dynamically to each of the sidecar Envoy proxies that run in the in the mesh. So trying to distinguish between ambient mesh and traditional service mesh, then there's a few points that you made. One, um, you were trying to encourage adoption by a wider audience is kind of how I heard it sound. There's a lot of people there that could still benefit from a service mesh sort of architecture and ambient's going to help them do that. So yes. w- what are we saying? We're not going to do sidecars with uh, with the pod model? We're, or what are we doing? Stepping back from Kubernetes as a deployment, but still what a fancy way to do proxies what does the architecture look like now Kristen? let's look at it from the kubernetes standpoint first uh, if you want to deploy your application then you deploy your application you don't have to worry about all right um well here's my application now i have to wrap it in all this other stuff this other yaml or set up um because kubernetes can do uh automatic mutation of a deployment so you deploy something and it can add stuff into it Right in Istio, we, we have a sidecar injector. So if you you deploy an application, it'll automatically inject the sidecar, um, which then changes your application deploy. Everything that went through CI/CD, and now when it gets deployed into the runtime environment, it changes a little bit, and it might not be that much, but it does. Um, and so, can we can we minimize that what that changes? Minimize it because when you make changes you're introducing some risk. Um, and so can we minimize that to you know, basically just deploy your applications? 
and then apply this service mesh behavior, the load balancing, the MTLS, um, the uh, telemetry collection, et cetera. Can we apply those, the, can we get the capabilities of the service mesh without having to muck around with the applications themselves? And that's the ambient, you know, it's just kind of floating out there somewhere. We can still get those benefits, but without, you know, perturbing or messing with the applications themselves. So, um, you, you, so that's, that's kind of the, the foundation for that. Yeah. So we've still got a sidecar conceptually. Well, what, what do we have? Because we're saying it's the not proxies, a sidecar. The proxies still need to, you know, exist somewhere. Right. And they still provide the functionality and the capabilities of the mesh, right? Because if you look at Istio, Envoy Proxy is the core engine that provides the, you know, whatever happens on the network, it's from Envoy. So that still lives somewhere. But from an application standpoint, you don't see it. You know, you don't need to know about that. You don't have to change your deployment uh, and, and, you know, um, deploy these platform components along with your application to get this capability. You just deploy your application. Well, it feels now, like, like an old school application load balancer architecture then where you have an, an You'd build a, an ALB, you'd have virtual IPs that have a bunch of functionality that are baked into them, and then behind them yeah. would be a pool of uh, a pool, pools of application servers that would serve up the data. Yes. Um, and that is more of that, that, that is to the application, it, it looks like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and just to clarify a little bit, because I think this is a this is sort of a nuanced point you're making. Uh, when you're deploying it in the sidecar model, that sidecar is part of your deployment uh, manifest mm -hmm. and the way that it's configured. And so you got to get that right as the application right uh, deployer, wh whomever you are. Maybe you're part of the application team. Right. Instead of decoupling a little bit and saying, no, I just want to be able to deploy my application and then have the service mesh transparently almost take care of whatever the additional functionality is. And if I need to make a change to the service mesh, I'm not altering my application deployment. I'm altering right. service mesh configuration. Exactly. That's, that's really like that's nuanced and it's it's something I wouldn't have thought of. But I'm assuming, especially for large customers that are running at scale, that invasiveness of having the two tightly coupled together becomes a real problem. It becomes a, it becomes painful, yeah. Especially as you continue to add more services into the mesh, and it's it's that day two, right? It's that life cycle. What do you how do you patch the mesh uh, when there are CVEs found? Um, I mean, generally, you know, Istio releases once every quarter. That's actually quite quickly for yeah. a lot of these organizations to <laughs> adopt changes, <laughs> believe it, right? right. So there, there's, there, there's a lot of that. All right, we've deployed the mesh, we've gotten to it running, now we got to keep it running. And how do we alleviate that pain? And, and, and so that, that's also an avenue of making it possible for people to run the service mesh because uh, the, the sidecar model um, at, Certainly at scale, uh, it, it, it doesn't have to be that way, I guess, is a different way of, of saying it. All right. we, we want these capabilities, but up until now, the sidecar, I heard somebody who was it, maybe it was Matt Klein, somebody 
somebody said like it was an inconvenient thing that we happened to do this, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and and so ambient mesh just shows that it, it doesn't have to be that way. Right, right. And if I want, like you said, if I have to upgrade my version of Envoy and all these sidecars, I have to redeploy each pod. Exactly. Because those pods are exactly. you know immutable in sense. So yes. Yeah, that could that's a lot of rolling changes happening, not because something changed in my application, but because something changed about about uh, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I think now we're we're ready to get down into uh, a little more of the meat of what does ambient mesh do that's different from the sidecars uh, from a deployment perspective? The first thing I want to point out is that we're at a point in time of ambient mesh, you know, it's um, uh, life, right? We just announced it a few weeks ago and uh, there are still some known gaps between what ambient does at this point in time and what Istio does with, with the sidecar. Now at, at Solo specifically, and, and, you know, Solo and Google worked on this and, uh, and, and announced it uh, and opened it up to the rest of the community a few weeks ago, like I said, but um, we, we worked on this very closely. We know what those gaps are. We are working with um, some early adopter customers of ours who will also continue to push us and, um, and, and push to close those gaps. All right. So you know, where we are today is not where we'll be in a, a few months, let's say. Um, and so the, the capabilities of, of the mesh, we are shooting for parity. We are continuing to harden and optimize uh, d- different parts of the, of, of the deployment, what it looks like today. And um, you know, that, that's, that's going to continue to happen. Right, right. It's constantly evolving. Um, and like you said, it, it was introduced a few weeks ago as of this recording. So yeah. um, when it goes out, it'll, it might be out for, have been out for a few months. But still, that's very young in the product's life cycle. Yes, it's it's um, it's young, but it is you know it. I'm I'm especially because since we're working, I can see what's happening. I'm very confident that we'll get this to a, a good spot uh, pretty pretty soon. We're taking a short break from the podcast to tell you about sponsor Collide K O L I D E. Collide is an endpoint security solution, and they use a resource that most of us in IT would never really think about, the end users, because end users are where problems start, right? Not solutions. Well, Collide challenges that thinking, because if you can leverage your end users to mitigate the security issues that they are carrying around in their backpacks, that is a huge win. Now, let's say you're doing your device management the traditional way with an MDM. Well, you know the joy of loading agents onto employee devices. Agents impact performance, and they can be a privacy horror show, privacy being a thing all your users know about now. So Collide does things differently. Instead of forcing changes on your users, Collide notifies folks via Slack when their devices are insecure, and then provides step-by-step instructions on how to solve the problem. And using this Collide approach, the interaction feels, feels more friendly, more educational, more inclusive, and less intrusive, because... Now IT isn't doing something to your device. Instead, you're working with IT to help keep the company secure. It's the whole attitude of, we're all in this together. And as IT, you still get the views you need into the managed device fleet. Collide provides a single dashboard that lets you monitor the security of everything, whether the endpoints are running on Mac, Windows, or Linux. 
so you can easily demonstrate compliance to your auditors, customers, and the C-suite. Give Collide a shot to meet your compliance goals by putting users first. Visit collide.com slash day2cloud to find out how. And if you visit collide.com slash day2cloud, they're going to send you a goodie bag, including a t-shirt just for activating a free trial. That is K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash day2cloud. And now back to today's episode. Well, tell us about the architecture of this, uh, of the ambient mesh, because it sounds like if we don't have feature parity today, you didn't just, you know, pluck it out of the sidecar model and then redeploy it in a different model. And it was easy. It sounds like there's more to it than that. So talk through, our, talk us through the architecture. Uh, at Sol, we wrote a blog about this back in December, 2021, that discussed some of the, 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 the trade-offs that you have to make. If you, if you pull the sidecar out, what are... What, what can you gain from that? What might you lose from that? And so ambient represents what the, what's, what's the right balance for what we think service mesh users are looking for. And a lot of what they're looking for starts with, hey, I want, I want to be able to get mutual TLS and apply some network level policy about what services can or cannot communicate with each other. That's, you know, looking at it from a um, security standpoint, or from a compliance fulfillment, how do we how do we implement some of the the requirements around compliance that a service mesh can fulfill? And you know, that, then from there, it's you know, traffic routing, observability. These are all really uh, really interesting use cases that people might adopt. But for for the most part, it seems the security aspects are are, the, are top of mind. Mm. Um, and so the first thing we did with the with the data plane. When we pulled the sidecars out, that all right, we got this proxy that in the sidecar mode, the proxy would do or could do everything. It can do mutual TLS, it can do um, header-based traffic routing, splitting between multiple versions of services, load balancing, telemetry, a lot. Right, the sidecar for for the mesh was responsible for everything that the data plan can do. The the first thing we did is we we said we pull that out. We we don't really want to share a single one of these proxies that does everything for all of the workloads. I I, I don't know. I think you said you had uh, William Morgan on a previous show. Um, yeah. The Linkerd folks, when the original Linkerd, I think it was one X, was exactly this type of proxy. It was a shared node, do everything for everyone type uh, proxy that, that ran one per, per host or one per node. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, doing that, you run into all kinds of, of um, issues like, well, when you try to share layer seven policy across all these applications, you start to see collisions, noisy neighbor problems, security boundary problems, and, and so on. So we knew we didn't want to do that. Um, and so what we did was we split up the capabilities of what 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 a proxy does into multiple layers. Hmm. Okay. So we said instead of having a proxy that can do everything, why don't we have a layer that's just focused on um, ends up being layer four, but really it's just just focused on implementing mutual TLS and network level network level authorization policies without everything else. Let's start 
there. Started at, at this foundational layer, and we can build the stuff rest of it on top of it. So, so this is this would be a proxy, uh, a proxy instance running that is handling just this. And if you need more functionality, that. then we could chain over to another proxy. Exactly. Exactly. So Ambient does have. We we do share a a. I'll call it proxy right now, but it doesn't have to be a proxy, and I'll explain that in a second. But uh, there is a proxy, an agent, I would call it, a, uh, a layer four security overlay agent that runs one per node. Mm. And all it is responsible for is opening connections and um, assigning certificates to those connections so that you can get mutual TLS and, and and then from there you can write policies about what service what workloads are allowed to talk with what other workloads based on that cryptographic identity right which is what the sidecar does today but um we're, we're we'll move that into its own layer which is deployed as a, a an agent that runs co-located or runs one per node uh that, that's that's sort of the, the foundational layer of ambient Okay, so that's strictly, like you said, layer four type traffic. It's making decisions regarding that. And I guess integrating with whatever container networking interface you're choosing to use. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's the that, that's where things like the CNI and what this agent, you know, what, what it's doing, these things start to blur the lines a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was going to mm-hmm. say, it, it does seem like there's a, it, it's sort of, you mentioned you can proxy without a proxy, and that almost like asks, depending on what type of CNI you're using, maybe that could fulfill that functionality. Maybe the CNI can help out. Like, so for example, today at the time of recording and at the time of release of Ambient Mesh, this agent uh, component does happen to be a proxy. It, happened, it, it is onboarding, uh, but we only use the layer four capabilities in onboarding. But it doesn't have to be Envoy, and it probably or maybe won't be Envoy going forward. We are experimenting. We are looking at a few different options. So, for example, in the Istio community, we're looking at what maybe a purpose-built component uh, that does just these three things. Um, you know, that that being um, mutual TLS, uh, telemetry collection, and you know, some basic layer four load balancing. Uh, just those three things, could that be done in a dedicated component that's built in Rust? Uh, could that be done in a uh, dedicated um, implementation in eBPF? Could, you know, at, at least at, here at, at Solo, you know, we're very interested in the, in the Cilium project. Could we, you know, uh, have Cilium take care of uh, a lot of the, those pieces? So, you know, it happens to be Envoy today but that may or may not be the best uh, solution going forward. Okay. And, and what do you, in terms of benefits, moving the traffic down to being processed at the node instead of the pod, what are the, some of the benefits that you're seeing over doing it in a sidecar? Uh, well, the, the first being, you don't have to inject a sidecar, right? The applications don't, don't even know that it's there. Um, and, and, and if that's the case, then, you know, if I need to change my application or upgrade the um, any of the components in the mesh, the application doesn't know that. The uh, some of the secondary benefits are, if you're not running all these sidecars, you don't have to kind of pre-provision or account for 
the the memory CPU you know resource overhead that the sidecars might end up using. Mm. Um, and so you save on on some of those costs uh, ahead of time. A third thing is in terms of security. So in the sidecar model, if your applications, and hopefully they're not, hopefully you have scanning and continuous scanning and all this stuff, but you know, wherever there's a lot of code and complex code, there's you know potential for vulnerabilities and so on. In a sidecar model, if your application somehow is compromised, it will be, you know, the, the, the sidecar will be exposed to that vulnerability. Um, and, uh, and, then, and so potentially you could uh, take over the cryptographic materials that are in the sidecar or the, the tokens that are used to get that, that uh, material and then, you know, do, do things, let's say, from there. In the ambient mode, if you compromise the application, you don't get access to the service mesh proxies. They're not running in that same, uh, you know, in, in that same uh, pod. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've we've pulled out any of the platform pieces that you know may have sensitive material, uh, a key material, certificates, whatever, and, um, and and separated that out from the applications. Okay, that does sound like a lot of benefits. Um, and I remember one concern that I, I heard previously was implementing Envoy at the at the node layer. It was never intended for sort of this multi-tenant almost uh, configuration. So there was mm -hmm. concerns about like dealing with noisy neighbors mm -hmm. or uh, you know uh, cross traffic inspection or something along those lines, just because of the way that it it was originally thought of and constructed. So uh, how are you dealing with those security concerns at the node level? At, at the node level, so the, the concern around some, something like Envoy, so just, just the shared node architecture mm -hmm. uh, and, and tenancy, multi-tenancy, noisy neighbor problem, all that stuff, really stems from the, the layer seven capabilities that it potentially could be doing. And the fact that each application will want to configure its layer seven processing and handling differently and trying to understand and reason about and even even uh, assign resources to this 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 component that can be so divergent and wildly different maybe somebody wants to inject a because envoy can do this a WebAssembly plugin which is a custom plugin that um you know operates on on the request and let's say that plugin kills Envoy or something, right? Does something that that will affect everything else running on that proxy. Um, and so from a, from a tenancy standpoint at layer seven, you know, that becomes, uh, that, that, that's, that's just a problem waiting to happen. Okay, that, that makes sense. What about the noisy neighbor issue? If you just have, you know, pods in a particular namespace that are just, sending a ridiculous amount of network traffic. Can you throttle them by namespace or something like that to make sure they don't overwhelm everything else that's running on that node? Well, so the concept of namespace and the node are kind of separate. But yeah. if you have, let's, let's, let's say you have 100 pods running on a single node mm -hmm. and those pods are sending out a bunch of traffic. And if, if the question is, how, do, how will that affect the, you know, the, the the proxy or this agent running locally on that on that host, um, it 
the answer is it, it would, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be much different than any of the other layer three, layer four components on the data path uh, for that node, right? You also have Linux there and um, file descriptors and you know sockets and um, con connection tracking, all this other stuff that happens at layer four. If you if you take those into account and um, size them appropriately, then you know we, we should be able to do the same thing with uh, with the layer four proxies that run on that node. Because you're not going to get, because then it just comes down to what's the number, what's the number of connections, what's the traffic that, what's the, the number of bytes flowing through instead of, well, I need to, um, I need to parse this stream, I need to save this in memory, I need to set retries to this, and all of this complicated stuff, like I said, that that can add cycles, that can add difference in behavior, um, and, it, and it's, it's a lot more difficult to reason about that, that the layer seven stuff versus hey, we're opening a sock and pushing some bytes through. Stupid basic architectural question here, Christian, but it does feel like we're still talking about this all in the context of a Kubernetes cluster. It's just that we're yes. taking these components and running them. Uh, the sidecar is no longer, you know, in the same pod. It's uh, it's separate. So, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm right. We're still in the cluster. Then you made a comment earlier that we don't have to worry about resources and, and noisy neighbors and all this stuff, but we do still right it's still a concern we're still placing load on the cluster and we're still handling you know uh, thousands and upon thousands of connections and state tracking and all of that stuff is it uh, so what's the what's the difference here as far as resource management goes that we're getting a win um i i mentioned that in terms of the in, in the sidecar mode you not only have the connections that the applications are making but you also have the configuration that you know the each of the proxies need right from mm -hmm. from the the control plane right so there's there's traffic going back and forth from the sidecars and the control plane right so now if you have fewer total number of proxies you're going to have fewer of these connections uh, you have the memory that each of the sidecars needs to account for um that that make up the configuration, load balancing configuration, all, all sorts of stuff. Envoy config can be pretty uh, verbose, um, and then you know all of the the that that stuff can be tuned, but it's still you need to you know ahead of time provision for it for for this to be able to run the proxy correctly. But you're getting back, uh, you're getting back because you're not running nearly as many instances of the proxy. You're getting back all of that baseline that you would have had yes. to allocate per per instance. Uh, exactly. Because we're running, I, I assume it's far fewer. It sounds like we're talking. Yes. Are we talking one proxy per layer? Or are we talking, you know, multiple proxies per layer, depending on load so demand? The layer that we've been talking about so far up until this, this point has been the layer four part, right. um, which in the Istio ambient uh, parlance is called the secure overlay layer. That's the layer we've been talking about, um, and we can we can talk in a second about what layer seven looks like because that will involve the layer seven proxies. Mm -hmm. But still, like if you think, um, well, I have a hundred instances of service A, well, I'm going to need to make sure that when I schedule that in Kubernetes or, or deploy that anywhere, that I have the resources for a hundred sidecars to be able to run mm -hmm. also. Um, and if you just need mutual TLS and you just deploy the ambient secure overlay layer, which is made up of these layer four agents, then you'll have one agent per node, not one 
proxy per instance uh, deployed across mm-hmm. multiple nodes. Okay. That could be a pretty significant win because I know yeah. like usually when you're specking out how big the sidecar has to be is you have to plan for worst case scenario. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, you said we were going to talk about layer seven. And I think the time is now, Christian. Uh, take us up to uh, to layer seven processing. Explain how that works. Yeah, in, in the ambient uh, data plane for layer seven, what we do is we deploy what's called waypoint proxies. And a waypoint proxy is deployed or can be deployed one per service account. And in Istio, we use and in, in Kubernetes, we use service accounts to um, to specify identity for uh, workload uh, applications. Right, so um, we we can we can specify one waypoint proxy deployment per service account. So this means that if I have service A, B, and C, each one of those uh, would have their own service accounts. Each one of those services would have their own waypoint proxy. So now when traffic, let's say A wants to talk to B, traffic will go from A, it'll first go to the uh, secure overlay layer, uh, which that will enable mutual TLS and handle layer four. And then from there, it would go to a, you know, so A's talking to B, the, the traffic would then go to a waypoint proxy that represents B. All right, and now B waypoint proxy would terminate the connection, do the mutual TLS handshake. It will apply layer seven load balancing, so request level load balancing. It would do things like uh, parse the HTTP headers and make traffic routing decisions based on on those headers. Uh, it would implement things like request level retries or request level timeouts. Uh, and then eventually pick a real like the, the, a backing service B, uh, which lives on one of the nodes somewhere, and then send it'll 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 open up another connection that ends up being mutual TLS with that backend service B. Uh, so like you, I think you made the comment earlier. This starts to look like you know uh, ALB or load balancer type uh, architecture, and it and it does at layer seven. But the applications don't know anything about that, and they can get you know the benefits of usual TLS authorization policies, these types of things. So, how are we doing the the hopping between layers then? Because we go from layer four and get that work done, and then we move it up to layer seven if we need to. Mm-hmm. We're not. Are we doing mm-hmm. an IP level chaining, or is it actually more like we're 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 within the proxy processing and we're handing it off to a different uh, process? No, it goes over the it 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 will go over the network. It'll go it over will. IP. Because yeah. we've got a different proxy instantiated for each layer. Okay. So yes, there's some fancy exactly. header rewriting and state tracking that's got to be going on then. Yeah. So the the traffic will go from the uh, layer four component to the waypoint proxy yeah. um, using a uh, HTTP2 tunnel. Yeah. And we can attach yeah. metadata to that as we tunnel mm-hmm. the, the traffic over to the to the waypoint proxy. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> but that's that, all, that, so that's all stuff under the covers. Yeah. Right? Say, that Again, just, that just all happens. Of, we're yeah. moving. Exactly. We're moving the, you know, how we track connections and apply policies and implement layer seven, et cetera. We're moving it to a place that applications don't know or care about, right? They just care about getting those things 
you know, implemented. Right. And, and, and it sounds like ops people don't, that the people that are operating the mesh don't necessarily need to know about it. We could assign a policy and say, we're going to go from here and we need yes. layer seven. So we're going to go over here, but the actual, we don't have to configure a transport mechanism to get it between layers. Right. That just right. happens as a function of Istio Ambient. The control plane does that. Yeah. The okay. Istio control plane does all that. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the deployment architecture I've seen in AWS, where they have the, the network load balancers, the NLBs that, uh, run at layer four, yes. super fast, yes. super efficient, right? Um, but then oftentimes you'll see that being the top level. And then below that, you'll have application load balancers that can do like web application firewalling and all of the advanced layer seven stuff and have one of those per application that's being hosted. So you yeah. can do the super fast layer four stuff at the network load balancer and then down to ALB. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's similar for anybody who's you know worked with an AWS mm -hmm. and seen that pattern before. Yes, it, that's a that's a good way to conceptualize it, and you get the same thing like in in the ambient mesh world. If you just need layer four, then you bypass any of the layer seven processing, which layer seven can be expensive. If you don't need it, there's no reason to par uh, parse the request stream. Right. Just stay in the layer four world, and you get super fast mutual TLS authorization policies. You know, a big chunk of what people come to the service mesh for in the in the beginning. And then if you need layer seven, which you likely will at some point, then you, you know, you opt into it and, uh, you know, and that, and that becomes a separate layer. Okay. And that's, so that waypoint deployment becomes part of my manifest for deploying my application. No, 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 no. So what ends up, uh, becoming, um, so there's right now in Istio ambient, how you deploy the waypoint proxy is there's a there's a YAML file or or you could just deploy it using a Kubernetes deployment doesn't matter but there is a little helper uh, proxy deployment uh, in, in Istio out of the box where you deploy this little uh, you deploy a YAML that then will go deploy the waypoint proxies. Now at Solo we're working on taking a little bit better uh, configure or uh, control over what that lifecycle looks like, and we'll bring some of that stuff to open source Istio as well because you know that, that there's going to be a lot of work on, on that area. But we have customers that we know want to be able to control exactly where those waypoint proxies run, um, either for excuse me locality reasons, or they want those proxies to run on dedicated nodes uh, for a little bit more deterministic uh, performance. So, so we know that there's going to be some some control over where those proxies were. Otherwise, they just those proxies are just uh, Kubernetes deployments, and they'll, those proxies would float on any node. But getting more control, more granular control over that is is definitely something we're working on. Gotcha. And from uh, I sort of I think what Ethan was mentioning is in terms of who's actually going to be deploying these proxies. Do you envision it being application teams as part of their application planning, or do you think of this as more the the ops folks? Deploying the the waypoint proxies in front of an application, just getting some of the requirements from the app team, or maybe both. <laughs> ideally, ideally, and and this is this is what we're kind of trying to work toward. I, ideally, the application team would say, "I want you know two retries when I call this service, um, or I want request level um, traffic splitting." Because I'm going to do a canary release, and I, all, that's all I care. As an application, that's, I want this, and then underlying infrastructure, underlying platform, will go take care of uh, making sure that the uh, layer seven proxies are all deployed in in the right spot. 
Um, and so it, in, in that, in that way, you, you kind of have a, you know, the developers would drive the, or the owners, the developers, SRE, wh- whoever it is, would drive the, the, um, you know, the intent of what they want from the system and then platform with the skill to deploy those proxies. Gotcha. And in terms of deployment, you mentioned that each waypoint is linked to a service account. And I'm probably going to ask a stupid question here because I don't remember. But um, can you have more than one waypoint proxy per namespace if you have more than one application deployed in the main namespace with different service accounts? Yes, exactly. Now, so, and so that's why I said it very specifically like that, because I think what what is common or what what I've seen to be common, maybe not best practice, but to be to be common, I, I've seen people uh, that are not using a service mesh. They're just deploying their applications into a namespace, and they're not always defining separate service accounts per per application or per per workload type. Okay. Uh, so if that if they do that, then they share one service account, the default service account for that namespace for all of the applications in that namespace. Now, if if that were the case, then you would have, and, and you deployed Ambient, you would have one waypoint proxy that represented the default service account, which also happened to be where all of your applications are running in that namespace. So you, you'd effectively have one waypoint proxy per namespace. But it's it's a it's considered good practice, especially if you want more fine grained control over how services communicate with each other, to assign a, a service accounts uh, per you know per per workload. Okay, okay, I think I, I got you now. There, when I was reading some of the documentation, it got a little confusing between namespaces and services. Yeah, you you've cleared that up for me. I, I get like. Okay, this is the way I would probably want to set it up. Um, and by you know, obviously by service account and service account yes. to a single application that needs that layer yes. seven, um, whatever the processing is for it. Okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think if you saw the blogs or the documentation somewhere, they kind of use namespace and service account interchangeably, but it's not. It's definitely it's service account, but depending on how people have deployed their service accounts, it might end up being namespace because there's only one service account. Gotcha. Christian, talk to us about network latency, because if I'm moving layer to layer and there's network calls involved and uh, tuttling and so on, how much mm-hmm. overhead am I getting into? Do I have to be concerned about that? Yeah. in our So when we first started proving this out, um, the measurements that we took from running the sidecar to introducing this extra hub, we evaluated the latency that processing the request. So if you look at the sidecar, you, you're processing it on both sides, the, the origin and the, and the, the ter- termination of, of that request or the connection. And you're doing layer seven on both sides, typically. Mm. Like if, 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 if Istio can detect it's HTTP or you've labeled your ports HTTP, it will, it will parse the HTTP stream. Mm. Um, and so what, we've, what we saw in those early experiments is that if, if we eliminate that layer seven processing, at least in one of those places, and just move it to the waypoint proxy um, and, and basically trade it for some layer four proxy uh, processing. Uh, so two layer four process hops 
and one layer seven was cheaper in our um, in our in our tests than forcing everything through layer seven always all the time mm-hmm. uh, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in our first release here of Ambient, we're still not at that uh, that that uh, performance threshold. We're not there, um, but we know what we need to tune and what we need to uh, optimize to get to what we saw in our initial uh, um, pr- proving out the uh, the solution here. Cool. So there is there is latency. You will take uh, some minimal amount of network. Uh, latency uh, because of those hops, but it's extremely minimal. Uh, but by eliminating some of the layer seven processing when we don't need it, then we gain that back or, or, or better. Does, does EPPF factor into this architecture at all at some point? Absolutely, it does. And actually, that was the initial thing. That, that, that's what we were working on at, at Solo that started to get us to go down this path. Um, which was how, how do we optimize? Cause we, you know, EBPF has a place in this architecture for, uh, optimizing the network paths, um, you know, pulling, pulling some of the telemetry that we'll need about, uh, the, the traffic flowing through the, the kernel. And, um, you know, that is, that is an area. So when we, when we start to look at, um, I think Ned pointed out how the, that secure overlay layer, that layer four component starts to really um, become part of the CNI or complement or, mm-hmm. or you know, there, there's, there's some synergies there. Uh, that's the area that we feel we can, we can offload some of that layer four behavior to eBPF and continue to optimize the, uh, the data yeah. path here. Okay. Uh, one important thing uh, that I, I'm not sure we've touched on, and I just want to clarify on, can I run ambient mesh sort of in a hybrid mode and still use sidecars where it's, it's required or there's not feature parity yet? <laughs> well, Vance, why yes. you just architect the most complex thing ever? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I can. <laughs> well, the reality is, especially for the people who are currently using Istio, there will need to be some of that transition period. Right. Um, so what, what, what I, what I, believe or the, the goal or what we think will happen here is that when ambient gets to a mature state that that that's where most people will start is with ambient um and then they would uh they would bring in a sidecar deployment if they really need that extra like for the, an application is um it needs its own sidecar and it needs to allocate the resources because it needs to behave a certain way. I'm sure we're going to see optimizations where we, where we need that. But I think most people are going to start with ambient once it's mature. But the people who have sidecar today, you know, if they migrate over, they're going to need to support you know, traffic flowing through the mesh, whether it's a sidecar or ambient. Um, and so when we released the initial version of Ambient, we do support uh, that interop between sidecars and the Ambient workloads. And we'll continue to do that sidecar. We'll continue to be a first-class deployment option in uh, in Istio. And we'll need to support uh, the interop between those two. Everything in me just screams, build out another cluster, then move, and then with the new <laughs> yeah. architecture, then move the apps and not do the simultaneous hybrid model. If 100%. You 100%. Um, unfortunately, dealing with 
some of the enterprise constraints that we yeah. have to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it might not be that straightforward. Oh, in an ideal world, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, if folks want to kick the tires with this, they want to want to give it a try. Um, is there a specific version of Istio they have to have installed? Um, and and do they just then roll out a Helm chart? Or what's sort of the deployment model if they want to try this? Yeah. So the again, at the time of recording here, uh, there is a very specific version, but this is uh, very quickly uh, merging upstream. So it's on a branch right now, but it'll. Uh, it'll merge into the into the main line where we can cut releases here pretty soon. It's Istio 1.16, I think, is what we're we're trying to uh, be ready for. It might not be, but um, it very soon should be in uh, in a, in an actual release. Until then, I would say there's a blog on Istio.io that shows you how to get started. Um, at at Solo, we built a workshop. So we, we built a workshop on Instruct. It's an awesome um, environment, by the way, to uh, to give you self-paced, uh, you know, hands-on uh, introduction to to ambient mesh. Cool. And if people want to find that, can they just go to solo.io or what's the go to solo.io under Solo Academy? Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I've used the Instruct platform, uh, and I really like it. it. Just gives you a sandbox that has some some time on it, and you can just mess around, do your thing, follow the lab. And uh, it, you're yep. really much more hands-on than the the standard just click and watch situation. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Christian Posa, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day Two Cloud. We really appreciate you taking the time and and giving us some knowledge on the Istio Ambient Mesh. Yeah, th- thank you all. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to do this. Absolutely. And hey, virtual high fives to you out there for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter. We both monitor the accounts at Day2CloudShow. Or if that's not your thing, you can head over to Day2Cloud.io and fill out the nice request form that Ethan so helpfully set up for me. Thank you again, Ethan. Did you know that Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter? It's true. It's called Human Infrastructure Magazine. It is loaded with the best stuff we found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It's free and it does not suck. You can get the next issue via packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>